How's everybody doing? All right. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a huge favor. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up, encourage each other as we move forward. And my goal is that we fill up these first three rows. All right? I know that might be hard. I know that might be uncomfortable. But you know what? Sometimes we go to church to get a little uncomfortable. Thank you. You know, I'm one of those people that, you know, if you're sitting far in the back, I get really insecure, like, was it something I said? You know, I did shower, you know, so. But yeah, come on down. It's the price is right. It's a little bit smaller group. I understand the Spanish ministry is meet, meeting separately, so, you know, we're going to be like family and just kind of creep on closer and... Uh, you know, sometimes at the dinner table, we, we feel a little uncomfortable, but we're family. Amen? So how's everybody doing today? How are the rest of you doing? <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, thank you for inviting me back. That must mean uh, some of you got some out of the first message I gave. So today's message is, gonna be, is called Spiritual Growth, Not Just Change, Model of Spiritual Maturity. So I, I've given this message before, and this message was actually born out of a request that uh, one of the ministers in my ministry asked me to give because it was for an older congregation where there's this, amen, amen sis, all right. It's okay to be older, and uh, the need was that it was an older congregation where people kind of felt stuck, and that they weren't going to leave or anything, but just kind of stuck, and maybe just needing some help to address, hey, maybe what, what is it that can help us get unstuck? And so, maybe this will apply to you, maybe it won't, but my hope and my prayer is that you'll walk away with something out of today's message. Amen? You know, I've, speaking of being older Christian, you know, I've been a Christian for 34 years. Yeah, back before there was electricity. You know, we, we didn't know what the internet was. What was that? What's that? Dinosaurs? Yeah, yeah, even the flying ones. Um, been around a little bit in my marriage, been married, uh, will be 35 years this fall, or 25 years this fall. Yeah, okay, thank you for that, sister, applauding. You know, may, maybe we should switch to a marriage message. Uh, not, not all of you clap, so maybe I've got some concerns there. You know, when you're a therapist, every little thing is like material. So just like you think you're listening to me, I'm listening to you too. So hope that doesn't make you too nervous. Um, so, let's talk about that subtitle, The Model of Spiritual Maturity. This is um, the verse that I think of as I kind of want to kick off this message. And it says here in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, read along with me, it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to what? To what? Thank you. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, 
and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So it says, hey, we've got to move on from the elementary teachings. So what are the elementary teachings? What were those first things that we've learned as a Christian? What, do you, what, what comes to mind? Having quiet times, repentance, what else? Being willing to leave everything for Christ, right? Anything else? Discipling, sharing your faith. Yeah, there, there were a lot of, there are a lot of basic things, right? Now the scripture says we got to go beyond, move beyond, and be taken forward to maturity. So the point here is that, you know, we aren't supposed to stay in those elementary things. But we're supposed to move beyond in order to become mature. That's really important for us to grasp today. Because sometimes we just stay in those elementary things, and guess what? Sometimes we just kind of lose our mind. Honestly, spiritually. All right, I'm just going to read my Bible again today. I'm going to pray again. I'm going to go to church again. But it says here we got to move beyond those things if we're going to mature. Amen? So what does this passage mean to you about becoming mature? What comes to mind to you? about becoming mature. Say it again. Growing pains. That was deep right there. Come on up and do the sermon here. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be some growing pains, right? There's some deeper, next-level things that we have to take a look at. Amen? Amen? So, God is willing... And he wants us to do that. So today I hope the message that I can give you will begin the process of understanding, hey, how do we mature? Anyone want to mature today? Amen. So this title, Spiritual Growth, Not Just Change. It reminds me of when I was in the campus ministry, there was a brother that I I was close to. And he said, you know, hey, because when you're in college, you don't have much money. Amen. You know, my son just finished his freshman year at Pepperdine. Uh, he can attest you don't have much money when you're in college. So my, my friend, a uh, fellow disciple in the campus ministry, said, Hey, cheap is good, but free is better. <laughs> what, a simple, what a simple proverb of life, right? Cheap is good, but free is better. Well, I kind of think of this in the same way. You know, change is good, but growth is much better. Growth is much better. So in a sense, this is kind of a, maybe for some of you who may kind of be stuck, this might be a paradigm shift, a way of thinking that we're going to shift from, hey, I'm changing, you know, I'm working on it, I'm changing, to, hey, am I growing? Next level. So here's, here's the model I want us to think about when I think about the model of spiritual maturity. 
So this is an iceberg, right? This is an iceberg, right? All right, all right. Now, the rule of thumb about an iceberg is 80% of it is below the surface. So I want to think of, I want you to think of yourself as that iceberg. And that change is the above the surface part of our lives. You know, it's the part of us that has to do with our actions, our behaviors, those things that are seen, right? But that's just the tip of the iceberg. And that change, that above the surface stuff, is in that mold of what we change in order to obey God. I liked what Ray said in his opening, that, you know, change, it's about obedience. We learn to obey. How do we know God's will? We read the Bible. But it's about the, the behaviors that we got to change. You know, when I studied the Bible, you know, I knew that, okay, cursing, got to stop that. That's not change, right? You know, lust, okay, that's a change I got to make. Maybe for you it's cheating. Maybe for you it's lying. But what are the above-the-surface things? And I really kind of connect that with when we first became a Christian. What are those things in your life that you had to change in order to obey God? And so as you become a Christian and then you're working on those things, guess what? There's 80% of our lives that is still below the surface that we got to work on. Because if we don't work on it, if we don't grow, that's when we start feeling stuck. You know, changing, 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 but we're not growing. We're not dealing with below the surface. You know, and, and really, we address growth in a response to our love for God. You know, we want to grow because of our love for God. And that's reflected in addressing the things in our character that are deeper, that are harder to change, that like our sister here said earlier, that are about growing pains. Amen? Amen? Because here's, here's the truth, and again, I kind of fold into not just my Christian faith to this message today, but I kind of fold into this talk, kind of my work as a therapist. And th there's a principle that I want us to take hold of is, you know, growth is less about what we do and more about who we are. Growth is less about what we do and more about who we are. Okay? We'll, we'll kind of unpack that, but that's, that's something I want us to understand. That's what we want to work towards. Growth is less about what you do. Because that's what we do initially to change, to obey God. But growth is much more about who you are. Here are the signs that I believe that tell us we're not growing. You know, I've already touched on some of them. Feeling stuck. And feeling stuck, I define as perpetually dealing with the same things over and over. That's character, right? When we feel stuck about that. Um, maybe you feel dull. 
You know, typically, I think dull has to do with when we only lock into the doing part of our lives. You know, it gets a little boring when we're just doing. And if I go back to that being stuck, many times the way I think of stuck is, how are your relationships? Are you stuck in your marital relationship? Are you stuck just in your relationships in general? Are you stuck in your parenting relationship? And what that ought to bring to mind is, hey, what are the unhealthy patterns that keep repeating for me? You know, some of it is we can be religious. That's when we know we're kind of just stuck. We're we're. We're going through the motions, just just going through the motions, going to church, um, just reading our Bible. But there's no sense of depth and growth in our hearts. And what that typically gives us a sense of is there's no real purpose. There's no real personal fulfillment. Because when you're growing, you feel fulfilled. When you're growing, you feel like there's a real purpose about your life. All right, so these are the three things we'll talk about today. What does it take to grow? First point will be know who you are. So get below the surface. Get below the surface of that iceberg. Do you know who you are? The, the counterpoint to that is we all know who we want to be, right? Who do we want to be like? Jesus. So that's kind of the given. But do you know who you are? Second point is allow others to help. And the third point is perseverance. So there's not going to be any magic to this, but we're going to walk through these three points. Amen? Amen. All right. Still with me? Okay. So, know who you are and get below the surface. So, this, the important thing about this is knowing that what you do has meaning. And can you get at the meaning behind the things you do? And I'm talking about those, those behaviors that you seem to repeat, that I seem to repeat over and over that I struggle with. There's usually meaning behind that. And can you get below the surface? Because the goal of knowing who you are is to bring to the surface, bring up to the area of being able to see what am I, what am I struggling with, okay? So I'm going to go to this different iceberg. So this is the iceberg model of meaning. So when we... When we have surface meaning, and that's the stuff where we address changing our behavior, a lot of times it's just the decision we make in our mind, right? And in our, in our spiritual life, we, we, we have to do these things. We have to think for ourselves, okay, what did I do that was wrong, and what do I need to stop? So that's what I call cognitive factors. We think about those things. We think how we can change our behavior, Below the surface, the deeper meaning involves getting in touch with, hey, how are we feeling when those things that are difficult for us are going on in our lives? 
usually it's tougher for us to get in touch with what we're feeling, what's going on emotionally for us. You know, and I'll, and I'll talk more about my own life to kind of provide the example so, so that this is a little more graspable. But emotional factors are much more the areas where we got to get in touch with what we feel, whether it's anger, whether it's happiness, whether it's fear. There's a lot of feelings that we have that for the sake of getting from point A to point B, we kind of cut off from those feelings and just make things happen. Now, spiritually, I, you know, when we became Christians, we talked about Luke chapter 9, denying ourselves, denying our feelings. Now, that doesn't go out the window, but many times when we're cut off from our feelings, we're not even sure what we're denying. There's just sort of this, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Don't even go there. You know, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. So I'm not saying, hey, we, we don't want to, you know, be active in denying ourselves. But a lot of times in an older Christian, in an older congregation, what tends to happen is we cut off from what we're feeling. And so then this denial becomes this very laborious kind of going through the motions process. And we, we stop recognizing, what, what am I feeling that's making this such a difficult uh, issue to deal with? And like I said, I want to share personally, um, an example for me of deep meaning, deeper meaning. Uh, I remember um, my kids are here. Uh, my daughter is a sophomore in high school. And like I said, my son just finished his freshman year in college. Um, but I remember... You know, I don't know exactly what the situation was, but I was in the kitchen, and uh, I think a lot of magic happens in the kitchen, just like a lot of magic happens in the bathroom. But I remember I was in the uh, kitchen doing something, and, and uh, something was going on in my relationship with my daughter, and she says to me, Dad, why are you always so serious? And I was like, I don't know, because life's serious, you know? carrying the weight of the world on my shoulder. Honestly, I had to reflect on that because this is the idea that a lot of people see what we're feeling. Besides our behavior, they see what's going on with us better than we do. And my daughter, we were talking about this morning, I told her I was going to share this, and we were trying to remember, I think she was in elementary school, and she said that. You know, kids can observe and kind of recognize things even before us as adults do. But I, I had to think about that even at that time, and I thought, yeah, a lot of it had to do with my upbringing. You know, life was serious for us. We were poor. I was one of those kids that got those stamps for free food, free breakfast at school. You know? Yeah, people can relate. All right. Yeah, I remember getting the cinnamon rolls. That was awesome. Okay, okay the burrito. But I remember, uh, you know, it was serious for us because we couldn't, we couldn't go out to eat. I, I could count on one hand how many times we went out to eat. I remember, I re- this, was, this was kind of funny. My, my dad would, you know, when you're a kid and you're an immigrant, my, my dad would just go out and buy clothes that we would wear. <laughs> sort of like no choice about it. I remember he got these 
I mean, canvas shoes back then were cool, but he got these turquoise-colored canvas shoes. I thought, Dad, don't do this to me. Middle school. You know, what, you know what happens in middle school when you do things like this? But, you know, he bought those because they were cheap. So, in a sense, life was serious. Another reminder of that for me, and these are very small things, but as you get down below the surface, the small things really ring a bell. We, our family just came back from a vacation uh, a few days ago. We went up to northern Arizona, kind of on the Utah border. Went to Monument Valley. We went sightseeing there. And then we went to Page, Arizona, where they have Horseshoe Bend. That's that famous picture you see of the kind of the plateau in the middle and then a body of water down below in a horseshoe shape. We did a lot of sightseeing. And I remember we were at dinner at our hotel at Monument Valley, and we asked the waiter to take a picture of us. It was my, myself, my wife, and uh, my son Brandon. And uh, the waiter took a picture, and Brandon looked at it and goes, Dad, you're not even smiling. And it's funny. It's the same reminder, and I even talked about it. I said, yeah, I know. I was like, smiling sometimes is like an effort for me. You know, we had a Chinese laundry so I was, I was that guy, ironing shirts. And, uh, you know, it's funny how those little things kind of permeate things if you're aware of what's below the surface. And for me, life felt serious. And that innocent question that my daughter asked unfolds into things that help me understand who I am. So the question is, again is, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Um, I'll share about another client of mine that in dealing with kind of why he came to therapy, uh, he is a obsessive compulsive disorder, which means, you know, he obsesses in thinking about things, and then he's compulsive in his behaviors. Now, on the outside, he's an engineer, has an excellent job, Married, um, very, very intelligent guy. Um, but he struggles with anxiety. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a form of anxiety. And that anxiety was a real struggle about talking about his feelings. I remember it might have been a couple months into therapy, and he, and he finally divulged to me when he first came to therapy. He, he felt like he wanted to just hug the walls as he came in because he's so scared and so anxious about talking about his feelings. And we eventually got to a story about his relationship with his father that brought up feelings of shame for him. Uh, his dad, they grew up in Idaho, and I've never been to Idaho but it feels like one of those places where you, you make things, you build things, you create things. And his dad was kind of a natural at that, very mechanically minded, um, built his own uh, farm house. And so my client recalls as a kid, his dad pulled him over and said, hey, help me with this, whatever this was. And his son was, the client was very anxious and tried to figure things out, whatever he was trying to help his dad with. And his dad got frustrated and he goes, just move over. Let me deal with this. 
And this feeling of shame is what carries into the rest of his adult life. Whether it's in his marriage, whether it's in how he feels about himself, his competence. Um, his anxiety would get so bad he would get paranoid thoughts about, you know, is my wife going to kill me? Things like that. But we, we had to get below the surface of where, where is this coming from? And today the call is, do you know who you are below the surface? Because the things we do a lot of times are prompted by the meaning of what we feel. What are your fears? What are your anxieties? Because those things tend to perpetuate. So our goal is to not cut off at the surface, but is to get more and more connected with our feelings, our our thoughts that maybe worry us in order to recognize maybe that's why I continually struggle in certain behaviors. Anybody relate out there? Because a lot of times when we activate Luke 9 in our lives and we deny our feelings, deny our uh, behaviors so quickly, is it's almost saying to ourselves, we don't accept who we are. And if we can't accept who we are, it's not going to be so much about denying our feelings. It's kind of like denying our existence, which leads to a lot of discouragement. And, you know, if, if we can't talk about it for fear of acceptance, then we're left alone internally struggling with those things. Anybody relate? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay, Ray relates. I appreciate that. Yeah, this is getting deep, right? You guys okay? All right, we're going to get a little deeper here. Might need some help to get to the next slide. Anybody back? Oh, there we go. Let's go back one. All right. So know you who you are. What's the fruit of that? This is a scripture I talked about last time I came. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, it says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The ESV version says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know, it says here in the Bible that God gives us a spirit of self-discipline. God gives us a spirit of self-control. And I'll repeat what I said last time about this. God gave that to us, but if we're not self-aware, if we don't know who we are, if we don't go below the surface, if we're not self-aware, it's going to be very hard to be self-disciplined. Does that make sense? That, again, is what can lead to discouragement because we can be so uh, determined to change, right? Back above the surface. Okay, don't do this. Do more of that. But if we're not aware of who we are, 
if we're not gaining self-awareness into patterns of behavior that are in, why are they in my life? And they don't change, then we start getting self-doubt. God doesn't love me. It doesn't work for me. You know, faith isn't, you know, isn't, isn't happening in my part of the world here. But self-awareness is the step to self-discipline. Self-awareness. So my story, that's my dad, and that's my mom holding my older sister. That was probably in, she looks like she's less than a year old, so that was in 1959. And my dad, uh, both of them were born in China, and my dad immigrated to the U.S. in 1949, leaving my mom, my two older brothers, and older sister in China, and then eventually Hong Kong, for about 15 years. Because he, he had to save up money in order to bring them over. Now, my dad grew up and never met his dad. Because while he was growing up, his dad was here in the U.S., and he was a cook in the U.S. Army. Crazy, right? Because back in that period of time, there were no jobs, no way of making money in China. So that's why his dad came here. So his dad eventually died here, and my dad never met him. So he had to drop out of middle school and work because he was an only child to support him and his mom. And uh, he finally was able to save up enough money when he immigrated here that in 1964, he brought my mom and my three siblings over. So 15 years had passed, and he finally brought them over. All right. Anybody recognize where that is? That is Chinatown, right? I was born at what was then called French Hospital in 1965, and that's my dad with me and my twin brother. Yeah, I am a twin. So, so the crazier things have happened, but uh, I've had disciples run into my brother and have no idea I have a twin, wave at him, go up to him. Yeah, hug him. I don't know if you guys remember when we had the Upside Down Club. Okay, so I brought him to the Upside Down Club. And, you know, you kind of get, like, caught in fellowship and separated. So my brother is not a Christian. And you can imagine this, right? People just coming up to him. Hey! And he's like, what are you doing? But that's me and my twin brother. So there were five of us kids total. Three of us were, three of my siblings were born in China. But then when, uh, in 64, when my mom and the siblings came over, then in 65, the next year, my brother and I were born. My mom was 43, and she had twins. Crazy. Now, my mom passed away in 1977 when I was 11 years old. She died of cancer. Um... The interesting thing was she had her own mental health issues by that point anyway. And so growing up, she, she hardly spoke to us. 
Um, she, she fed us, obviously, um, cooked for us, but she just didn't speak a whole lot. And, you know, as a kid, uh, it was described back then as she had a nervous breakdown. You know, I'm in the mental health field now, and I analyze everything. Um, I, my guess would be it was probably schizophrenia. Um, but, you know, you grow up with your primary caregiver who doesn't speak too much, and that has an effect. It really it had an effect, and I'll talk about this too. It had an effect in my marriage relationship because my primary caregiver didn't really speak a whole lot. But she fed me, and so that was kind of my sense of what it meant to have a relationship with your most intimate relationship. So my dad, I swear to this day, he is the hardest working man I've ever known. To the point where it was scary, like he just worked hard. And like I said, he owned a laundry. Um, it was that Chinese stereotype. Um, you know, when he immigrated, he, he had enough money to get here, but he did not have enough money to afford living at an apartment, so he, he slept in the laundry. And, uh, you know, his goal, like any immigrant story, any of us immigrant families? Yeah, the immigrant story is he wanted a much better life for us than he had. So he always spoke to us about grades and about education. But honestly, that's about all he spoke to us about. You know, we did not have those talks like, you know, at dinner of, hey, what was, what was the best part of your day? How are you feeling about things? And so it, it really, again, like I talked about last lesson, it really shaped kind of my expectations in these intimate relationships. And again, I'll share about it, it affects my family relationships today. The other thing about my dad, uh, had a really angry temper. Um, I'll never forget, I don't know how old I was, but... He got so mad one night, he picked up this coffee table, this rectangular coffee table, and just threw it across the room. And it was like, you know, when you're a kid, I mean, instantly you're like, don't mess with dad. Don't, I mean, don't, you know, don't sit the wrong way. Don't smile the wrong way. You know, life is at stake here because if he can throw a table like that, what about me? Right? And you can probably paint the picture, he was, he was authoritative. What he said was what was the law. And uh, I, I wanted to live. And so I, I lived by that law, no matter what it took. So, so, so here's then the trickle down for me. Um, it was really difficult for me to connect with my parents, obviously. And that I carry with me to connecting with my family. Now, you can see me up here on stage and go, what? You're so, like, gregarious. You are so animated. Yeah, usually the challenges that we, we deal with below the surface, they really show up in our intimate relationships. Amen. You know, you, you can be all everything up here. But the things that are harder to deal with show up in those one-on-one -on -one family relationships, closer friendships. And so really difficult for me to connect with my family, my wife and my kids. Even to this day, it's a challenge. 
Um, I think with my dad, because he didn't speak much about other things than that immigrant story, better life, how's school, what happened with this class? You ever get those questions? What happened getting that grade? We've got, you know, I can say this, I'm Asian. You know, Asians have a whole different grading system. You know, my, my daughter can recite it for you. A, a, means, a means average, right? B means below average. C means can't come home. D means don't eat dinner. And F means find a new family. Welcome to the Asian grading scale. Yeah, right? Now, I'm sure if you're Latin, you have your own cultural story. Edgar can share next time. You know, if you're African-American, you have your own cultural issues. But for, for us, that was it. And so again, what's below the surface for me? So, so that kind of environment really built for me a fear of failure because if, if I failed in these areas, guess what? My dad's not going to talk to me because he didn't. Fear of, in that regard, losing love. You know, kids are just kids. And so in, in kid mindset, well, if that's all he talks to me about, guess what I need to do? I need to jump on that horse of getting good grades. I need to not act out because you don't want to ignite the anger. And so there, there's a lot of fear-based kind of motivation in my life. And uh, guess what? That shows up in my marriage and in my family life. Um, because my dad had a big temper throwing things across rooms, um, my goal in life is avoid conflict like the plague. I mean, avoid arguments, avoid disputes, avoid disagreeing. I mean, however small you want to get to, avoid it was my mindset. You know, for me, again, if conflict came, the meaning for me was something's wrong with me. You know, if conflict happens, something's wrong with me. Now, that's not true, right? Because some families you grow up, arguing is kind of a lifestyle. Amen. You know, I think of Italian families, you know, I don't know why. Just doing all sorts of uh, cultural stereotypes here. But, you know, it's not true necessarily, but that's the shaping influence for me. That's the reality for me, that's right. And that's what's below the surface for me. Because below the surface isn't seen. I might do the right things above the surface, but it might operate because of these meanings that aren't so healthy. So do you know who you are? So when I went off to college, that was like freedom from labor camp. Freedom from fear. And in some ways, I was healthy. I, obviously, it was healthy to become my own person. But that also set off then this sort of freedom. Experience college life. Get drunk to embarrassment. 
I have lots of stupid stories about that. I, my first quarter, I went, so I, I went off to college to, at UCLA, so pumped that I didn't even study. I failed chemistry my first quarter. You know, Asians aren't supposed to fail, right? Because you, you would find a new family. Uh, repeated that class second quarter and failed physics that quarter. Because freedom had this sort of sense of out of control, no holds barred, stupider was better kind of thing. Anybody relate? Okay, Ray, Ray, Ray is like on the same page with me. I think we're actually brothers from a different mother. All right, 1965. We are brothers of different mothers. All right. I transferred to Berkeley eventually after two years, and that's when I became a Christian. But this is, this is my BC days. This is all the below-surface stuff that, was, that I was dealing with. You know, I'm telling my story because I want you to know I'm real. Uh, you know, I'm not just, you know, up here speaking uh, because I've, I've sort of been this Jesus character. But hopefully in sharing my story, it makes you think about your story. So, the effects. So, I'm, you know, we've been married, Grace and I have been married uh, coming up on 25 years. It's weirder if you say quarter of a century. God, that's just horrible. Uh, you know, in our marriage, we just worked hard, both of us. You know, she shared, if you were here last time, she shared about uh, in an amazing way, her story. And so, you know, we both just sort of worked hard. But the thing that was hard in marriage for me was to be vulnerable about my feelings. Why would I do that? Because the formula is lose love. Are you crazy? Do not share. And my, my wife, earlier in our marriage, she, she'd have these different sayings that because of my issues just didn't compute. She would say, I'm a flower. You're supposed to water me. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you, know, you know, that, that logic side, that above-the-service cognitive thing, you're not a flower. That doesn't really compute. <laughs> what was the other saying we were just talking about this morning, Grace? I, I'm like spacing out. All right, that one was sort of like wrong planet, wrong universe. I miss you. And I'd say, what would I say, Grace? I'm here. I would say, she, she'd be right here and she'd go, I miss you. And I'd say, I'm right here. Touch me, feel, you know, feel me right here. She's talking about the emotional connection, right? Yeah. Right. All right, the sisters say amen. Can, can I get a, the sisters say amen? amen? Wow. I will say all of this stuff I'm sharing, I happen to be a guy. So if you happen to be a guy, this is a lot tougher for guys. Oh, amen. Ray, Ray's willing to admit it. All right. Amen, that brother over there. True confessions, that's what lunch will be for. But it was really hard for me to be vulnerable because my dad, all he spoke about was external goals. So can you imagine what it would mean to be now married and talk about my fear of failure? 
my fear of raising kids. I think I told you guys last time I, I got with Marty after I had my kids. I, I should have gotten with him before I had my kids. But I remember after having kids, I just, Marty, can we grab coffee? He's like, sure. I go, I said, I have two kids. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, his kids were older. He's like, that's how everybody is, bro. Don't worry about it. But it was a genuine fear that I had. I have no, because my model was this model that left me no map. But the reason is his model, he never even met his dad. So, you know, in our marriage, for Grace and I, Grace often feels, because I'm not vulnerable, she doesn't know me. We were talking yesterday, and she said, that's still the challenge I feel. And again, what? How did Larry get on stage to be able to... Doesn't that automatically disqualify that guy? You know, that's why we take communion every, every Sunday. Um, so vulnerability is a real big challenge for me. That's who I am. I struggle with that. The second thing I'll share about is conflict and anger. Again, the meaning is I must be a bad dude if, if there's conflict. You know, I'd, growing up, I'd be walking around on eggshells with my dad. I remember, like, in our laundry shop, he'd be ironing, and I was goofing around like kids do. Amen? So kids, it's okay to goof around because that's what kids do. But I remember goofing around and falling and knocking something over. And I remember it was like eggshells holding my bra. My dad just started laughing. I went, doesn't mean I'm a failure. I mean, they're little things. But it's amazing how little things affect how we behave even as adults. Uh, so how I deal with conflict is more like being more of a doer. You know, we, Grace and I would have these arguments, and, and they're, they're actually kind of her just talking to me. Like, might be talking, might be yelling, might be like steam coming out of her ears. And I would not say a word. And she'd be like, what are you doing over there? I'm like, what do you want me to say? I just got to get better at this. A doer. Staying above the surface. Right? Behavior. You know, okay, I have no idea why I'm doing that, but I guess I'll just work harder. Any men out there relate to that? I will say this. I think society does sort of culture men to just be doers. If you're a doer, then you're cool. If you perform then that's all there is to it. And I can tell you from a therapist's perspective, there, that, is, that is a false message. That leaves you as the loneliest person in the cotton-picking world. And, and that's what I would do, though, is work harder to earn back this sense of love. Because conflict meant something's wrong with me. I've lost her love. How are we doing out there? Okay. So, yeah, processing. All right, let me, let me raise you up for air from the bottom of that iceberg. 
So what, what's the second point here about how do we need to grow? We have to allow other people to help us. Now, I'll say this caveat. I don't mean like let every single person in the congregation help you. No. That would be scary. That would be absolutely terrifying. But we have to have that one person, maybe two people in our lives that can help us. And here's the, here's the role of the other person in order to help us. They need to gain understanding, understand that below-surface stuff, and then they give input. Give input. Amen? All right. Ray, you and I are just going to be best buds. I can tell. Amen. Do you see Ray? Ray's kind of this big guy. <laughs> I saw him earlier. I go, you must work out. He goes, yeah, I do. I go, yeah. I, re-. I said, yeah, I remember those days. Vaguely. So role of others. So the first role is to understand. Let's read Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose, purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. ESV translation, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Notice it does not say a man of great Bible knowledge. It does not say a man who listens intently, although that's part of it. But it says a man of understanding. So if we're the other person, so think of your relation. Maybe it's your spousal relationship. Maybe it's a discipling relationship. Maybe it's a friendship just in here, your close friends. If you're that other, how much do you understand your friend? You know, and so we're not talking about above the surface, their behaviors. But the stuff I just shared, how much do you understand? Oh, yeah. I'll share this story. Um, on this vacation, uh, Grace and I and Brandon went kayaking. Uh, it was an hour and a half one way kayaking, hour and a half back the other way. We were at Lake Powell. You guys ever been there? It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's pretty cool when the waves are calm. <laughs> um, so on the way down an uh, hour and a half, it was calm. On the way back, it was a little bit rougher. Um, so Grace and I are in a double kayak. This is hilarious, actually. I wish, I wish, some, uh, I wish there was a drone that videotaped it. So when, you, when you're in a double, so you have to kind of be in sync when you, when you row. And, uh, cause it, so this is how kayaking works. Row on the right, you're going to go to the left. Row on the left, you're going to go to the right. Well, we, we rode a little too much on the right, and we came up on the side of the cliff on the left. So as, as the kayak's drifting over there, we hit the side, and both of us, our natural reaction is take that oar and push, push against the side. Guess what happens? The weight in the kayak shifts to the right, and we capsized. <laughs> now, initially, that's hilarious, now, I don't swim, and we're not in a swimming pool, and uh, I would say 30-some-odd years ago, I nearly died 
in a drowning accident in a pool where the last thing I remember is these bubbles going up and then the next thing I remember is I'm on the side of the pool with a paramedic pounding on my chest and my friend said hey everything this color was white everything this color was purple and so imagine what came to mind when we capsized drowning I'm gonna die I don't care that I've got my life jacket on and I shout at my son who's in a single way ahead of us and go Brandon get over here and I'm hanging on for dear life to that capsized kayak, and I'm not going to let go if you give me a million dollars. My son comes over and goes, you got your, you got your life jacket on, or you got your, your flotation device. I'm thinking to myself, that ain't computing right now. <laughs> and I remember, okay, so, so we get back in the boat. That's, that's the short version. And uh, I remember my wife said to me, I remember about your drowning accident, and I had to stay calm for you. So that's understanding. That's understanding. A lot of times we'll attack the behavior. You idiot. What were you thinking? And you know, when when I had my drowning accident, I was at a friend's house in the Bay Area, and I was in the hospital after recovering, and I remember talking to my dad on the phone, And he said, what were you thinking? That's not understanding. So I immediately felt guilt and shame. You know, it's one of those feelings where, did I wake up that day and think, you know, I'm going to go into the pool and drown? No. So when there's not understanding, that creates this, again, meaning as we project out into our adult life. Right? So, in if you are the other, the Bible says we're like deep waters, all of us. It's like that iceberg. We are deep waters. And can we, as the other, take the time to understand this person that I'm building my life with, if it's your spouse, in our discipling relationships? Whatever it is, we have to have a goal of understanding. Second role of the other is to give input. I love this scripture. It says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Amen? Amen? Now, notice it doesn't say to do this with patience and instruction. He says with great patience and careful instruction. I think I can say for myself, and maybe some of us can say in this room, we've kind of done it without the great patience as the other, and we've kind of given input without the careful patience instruction. And maybe you've received that, and there are these wounds, even spiritually, in our ministry even. Now, if that's the case, that's painful. 
it's hurtful. It may even trigger your own historical story. It doesn't mean it's true, but it can trigger those things. But if we're going to grow, we need to allow others to help us by giving input to us. And so if you are the other, I can't emphasize enough, great patience and careful instruction. But you can't do that unless you take the time to understand the other person. They go together, amen? Amen. All right. The last thing. And uh, when we close, I will pray for communion and we'll take the Lord's Supper together, amen? amen? The last thing, as far as what does it take to grow, is perseverance. Amen? Amen? So I love this scripture. It's verses, Romans chapter 5, the first five verses. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces what? Perseverance. perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this talks about, you know, a blueprint God gives us here through Paul's writing. That the suffering we go through produces perseverance. But in order for it to produce perseverance, we have to hang in there. We have to weather those storms. Because if we do, then perseverance produces character. The kind of character, if we are willing to look below the surface, that we have to deal with in order to become who we want to be, which is Jesus, right? And if we start developing that character, the Bible says we start having hope. Not wishful thinking hope, but because we're changing our character, because we're growing, it's real hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I love this scripture that speaks of it again. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the goal, like I said at the beginning, was spiritual maturity. And this is what James talks about here, is if we let perseverance... And perseverance is weathering the things we've talked about today. Going through them but not giving up. But it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, what? Mature. Who wants to be mature today? I think all of us do. And if you want to be mature, you've got to let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this overall goal of spiritual growth, I want to read this. So this is the fruit of growing. Galatians 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we're talking about the internal growth, that below-the-surface feelings. Philippians 1, it says, Being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This really is life's work for us as Christians. It's not today's work. It's not just this week's work. It's not just this year's work. It's really the work of God in us until we see Jesus again. And I hope this provides that hope for you to carry on. That spiritual growth is God's goal for us. So I'll leave you with this as a reminder. Our goal is spiritual growth, not just change, but following a model of spiritual maturity that God's outlined for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this is, today was that lesson, the last one. I think will be in June. We'll figure it out. Uh, It will be spiritual parenting by example. They follow your lead. Amen? So as we uh, close here, I'm going to pray for us. So we can take the Lord's Supper, think about these things and how they may apply to you. And again, thank you very much for allowing me to speak to you today. Amen. Let's all pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the Bible. And thank you so much for the depth of your word. Thank you so much that we are profoundly deep waters and you knew that from the beginning. And that that's why you have guided us and brought us to faith through people that have shared their faith with us. That if we've grown up in a Christian household, that you've allowed us to uh, be raised in faith. But God, today as we talk about those deeper waters, we want to move on to maturity. And we want to grow. And in the things that have been shared today, I pray you allow the seeds of faith to deepen, and help us to remember that none of this would be possible without Jesus. Thank you for his broken body on the cross. Thank you for his blood that was shed that allows our sins to be forgiven. As we take the Lord's Supper, God, help us to remember how your great plan was to bring us into a right relationship with you and ultimately to see you in heaven. God, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.